Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 tonight, and uh, I was praying about how to end the conference and how to wrap it up, and uh, I wish you'd pray with us. We are currently uh, reseeding America. The USA Division of BIMI is currently operating now as far as our missionaries are concerned in about 30 states. Uh, we have the lower 48. I don't know why they didn't give me Alaska and Hawaii, but uh, those belong to someone else. And uh, I'd gladly go to Hawaii to plant some more churches, amen? But uh, nevertheless, uh, we have uh, 30 states now where our missionaries are planting churches, restarting churches, and our goal, of course, is to be in all 48. It's interesting, we have pinpointed around Boston alone uh, nearly 40 cities at this point that could support a good uh, independent Baptist church. And it's amazing to me that one quarter of our population live in that quarter from Washington, D.C. to Boston. I guess it would be the neediest area in America. I've had a few questions this week, you know, where is the neediest area? And I would have to say the Northeast is probably the neediest area. Of course, all areas are needy. America's needy, isn't she? And America needs the gospel. Luke chapter 15 tonight, beginning at verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house, and Seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Let's pray together. Father, tonight as we gather here, we understand how vitally important it is to get the gospel out uh, to our neighbors, this nation, the world, and and Lord, we understand that uh, you've given us the marching orders to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Lord, that's what a week like this has been all about. And we certainly, dear Lord, need your power and your blessing and your help and your grace if we're going to do, dear Lord, what you have commanded us to do. And so, Lord, you know I've prayed in private today, and now I pray in public that you would bless the message tonight, the simple message, and help your people in this, in this hour in which we live, help uh, the ministry of Central Baptist Church, Lord, as they face another uh, year of missions giving and supporting missions around the world. And uh, Lord, we're thankful, we're so thankful for the emphasis that they have placed this year on our homeland. And Lord, we do pray tonight for America. Lord, would you turn America around in this hour? And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do all we can with what we have while we have the opportunity. We pray in Jesus' name and we ask it for his sake. Amen. As you study the New Testament and especially the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and, you're, and you look at his earthly ministry and you begin to examine that, you see that uh, he preached to the multitudes, but oh, how he cared for the individuals. He called those 12 disciples, but, but he would deal with them on an individual basis. He made, a, he made a special trip one day to reach one woman at a well there in Samaria. He would heal sick people, but he would heal those sick people one person at a time. He would raise the dead, but again, he would raise them one person at a time. He led people to himself like Nicodemus. Over there in John chapter 3, one person at a time. Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night and saying, Master, we know thou art a teacher come from God. Nicodemus was almost right, and yet he was entirely wrong. Jesus was not a teacher come from God. He was God come to teach. Amen? In his last moments on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ would lead a thief to paradise. You think about the life, the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a soul winner till the very end of his earthly life. In Luke 15, we have three parables tonight and, of course, one central truth. And those three parables have to do with the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It's interesting, the ratios in the parables tonight, of course, you have, first of all, 100 sheep to one, and then in the second parable about the lost coin, 10 coins to one, and then, of course, in the last parable, two sons to one. And even though there's one main truth tonight that I believe our Lord was trying to share in that passage, or in that passage of Scripture, the main reason that Jesus was sharing what He was sharing was because there were some people that showed up that day that were not very happy. Who were they? Well, they were the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious of the day, and they had come along and they were not happy. Why weren't they happy, Brother Bob? Because folks were getting saved. Now, you would think that they would be rejoicing. You would think that they'd be thrilled, but they were not thrilled. Look with me in the Scriptures tonight. In Luke 15, look at verse 1. Then drew nigh unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And by the time Jesus gets to the third parable... Concerning the prodigal son, it's very obvious in the third parable who he's speaking about or who each character represents. The father, of course, in that parable represents who? God the Father. The prodigal son represents the lost, and the older brother is a picture of the Pharisees. Did you ever notice that, that Jesus really didn't finish the parable of the prodigal son? He, he, he finishes it with a conversation that's going on between the father and the older brother. Notice with me, if you will, here in Luke 15, verse 28. Of course, it describes the older brother. He's angry, and he wouldn't go in. Therefore came the father out and entreated him. And notice what the father says to the older brother in Luke 15, 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And you know, I really believe Jesus was leaving it up to the Pharisees to finish the parable. If the Pharisees had a change of heart, what, how would the parable end? The parable would end with the older brother going on into the party. Amen? But if they remained hard-hearted, what would happen? The older brother would remain outside of the festivities. Now, that's the main reason that Jesus was sharing these parables. But here's, here's another truth tonight I want to hone in on. As we come to the conclusion of this missions conference here at Central Baptist Church for 2022, I, I want you to think with me tonight about the value of one. The value of one. 
You see, the value of one is illustrated tonight in these parables by the searching that goes on for one sheep, one coin, one son. You know, I do believe that the main message tonight, whether it be whether it be in Romania, whether it be in North Carolina, whether it be in Portland, Oregon, or New York City. Let's reach those individuals, and whether it be in Ocala, Florida, let's reach those individuals that are nearest hell. Let's try and get them the gospel as best we can. The time is short, and we need to do all we can. I grew up on a dairy farm, and Honestly, I loved, I loved being on the farm. I, I loved farm life. I mean, I'm a, I'm a kid of seven, eight, nine years old. And one of the best times of the year for me was in the spring of the year because our dairy cattle would start having their calves. And I used to really enjoy, I had, a, I had an opportunity to kind of take care of the calves after they were born. And, and it was an exciting time for a kid my age. And I remember many times we would... Uh, we would be kind of watching the cows and kind of determining when they were going to have their calves. And We had one cow one year that was really overdue, and we were all puzzled when she was going to have her calf. And, and so uh, we would have to get up in the early morning hours before the school bus, and we'd have to get out to the barn and help with the chores and, and get the cows milked and get the young stock fed and all that. So I'm up one morning about maybe 5 o'clock in the morning, and it's the spring of the year. And I, I come out of the house, and it's been a warm day the day before, and uh, the snow has finally melted, and so there's a fog that's settled in on the farmyard. And I'm walking to the barn, and I can hear this forlorn mooing. And, oh, it just sounds like this cow is so uh, upset, and she's outside the barn mooing. And so I get into the barn, and I, I walk up to my uncle, and he's uh, milking the cows. He's already started. And I said, what's wrong with that cow out there? And he said, that's the cow that was supposed to have its calf two weeks ago. It had its calf last night. I said, well, where's the calf? Well, we had let the cows out of the barn that night, and we had over 250 acres, so the cows would just meander all over the farm at night if it was warm. And, and, uh, and so this cow had had its calf out in the wild somewhere on our farm. Now, when a cow has a calf in the wild like that, it does the same thing a wild animal will do. It'll normally hide its calf. And so uh, my uncle looked at me, and he looked at my brother, and he looked at my cousins. We were all now in the barn. And he said, boys, he said, you're not going to school today. We've got to find that calf. And we all went, um, oh, no, no. We went, yay, amen. <laughs> so after the milking was done, we had a quick breakfast, and my uncle fired up the old pickup truck, and he put us all in the back, and he would drop us off on different places there on the farm to try and walk the farm and see if we could find that calf. Now, you've got to remember, I'm a kid of seven or eight years of age, and uh, my attention span's about that long, Amen. And so I'm out there, and honestly, he's, he let me out on a fence row that, that actually was between our farm and the neighbor's farm, okay? And so, uh, you know, I, what do I do? I'm eight or nine, maybe seven or eight, I don't know, but I pick up a stick, and, and I know I'm looking for a calf, but, but that kind of leaves me after a couple of minutes, and so, you know, I'm kind of hitting the fence line, and I'm kind of walking along, and 
I've kind of forgotten why I was out there, but I was having a good time. All of a sudden, I looked down in the drainage ditch, which bordered our farm from the neighbor's farm, and the, the snow had melted, the water had run off, it was a lot of, there was a lot of mud down in there, and something was moving, and I looked again, and that little calf apparently had been born alongside the fence row where the grass was high, but it had been disturbed for some reason. It had gone down the bank, and it was stuck in the mud down in that ditch. Boy, I got excited. I started hollering. I said, hey, the calf is over here. It's over here. And my uncle got in the pickup truck. He picked up my cousins and my brother, and they came over, and they were all looking down in the ditch, and they looked at me, and they looked at the calf, and they said, now, Bob, you're the smallest. You're going to have to go down there and get that calf. I know you don't believe that now, but I was then, amen? So I gingerly went down the bank. Well, you know, when I got to the bottom of the ditch, I sunk in the mud, and I was stuck in the mud down there with the calf, and now I'm looking eyeball to eyeball to that little calf, and that little calf says, are you my mama? No, it didn't say that. It didn't say that. But he said, my uncle said, okay, grab its neck. And so I had to take my arm and put it around its neck, and well, the feet were stuck in the mud. I said, I can't move. He said, well, pick up one of the legs. And so, little by little, what we had to do is we had to pick up, I had to pick up each leg, and each time I picked up the leg, I'd pull a little bit, and we were finally able, so slowly, to get that calf up on the bank. We put it in the back of the pickup truck, we brought it into the farmyard, and I'll tell you what, there was one happy reunion in that farmyard when Mama Cow saw baby calf. I mean, she spent hours cleaning that little calf and feeding that little calf, and you know, we all stood there with a look of satisfaction on our face. You say, boy, you sure changed your priorities that day on the farm. You know why? Because something of value was lost. In these parables, something of value is lost. Both the sheep and the coin had monetary value. And nobody, including the scribes and Pharisees who valued, valued material things, would ignore such a loss. No, no, they wouldn't ignore a loss of a coin or a sheep. No, no, they would stop what they were doing and they would go and they would immediately search for that lost coin or that lost sheep. And if they found those monetary things, they would want everyone to rejoice because they had found what was lost. In the third parable, of course, it was the lost son. Now, if, uh, if, if that was true about lost material things, and by the way, that term lost tonight, let's think about that for just a moment. As we think about missions and as we think about evangelism, as we think about church planting, reaching those that are lost. They are outside the family of God. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here tonight to tell you that is not how God wants it. God does not want anyone outside his family. It's not his will that any should perish. John chapter 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent his Son not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we can see in this story and in these parables tonight, what the Father says about the Son who's repented and come home in verse 32 of chapter 15. He's speaking to the older brother. He said, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. 
Clearly, if those that are spiritually lost tonight all around us are represented by these stories, shouldn't we respond to them like we would respond to losing material things? I I don't know about you, but I have a problem with keys. Brother David shared a story the other morning about his keys dropping down that elevator shaft. How many of you have spent days looking for keys? I hate to raise my hand, but I have spent days looking for keys. I was preaching one time at at, uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, and I took a short walk, and I had a, we ran a diesel dually pickup back in those days, and and they had this electronic key, and, and I took a short walk, and I lost that key. I looked for that key, I think, for four days. I'd walked that same path looking for that key. You know where that key finally showed up? It showed up in my dresser drawer in a container of change. I have lost glasses, and I have looked for days for glasses. How many of you have ever tore apart your, your house looking for a title for a car? I have completely destroyed our house several times looking for titles for cars. You know, sometimes we'll go somewhere and I'll, say, I'll tell Jennifer, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm going to take a walk. And so I'll, I'll just go walk in a neighborhood somewhere. And uh, periodically I'll see these posters, you know, on, on a telephone pole. It'll be a picture of a little dog, you know, lost, fluffy, $200 reward. You know what I catch myself doing? I, I catch myself walking down the street going, here, fluffy, here, fluffy. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I mean, really, you think about the time sometimes that we spend on looking for lost material things. I thought about that the other day, and I thought, you know what? If I spend that much effort looking for material things and persevere in searching for them, maybe, maybe, maybe I ought to just spend that much time trying to look for the lost and seek the lost and seek those out that maybe are closest to hell. As Christians, we're given an illustration of how we should respond here tonight. And, uh, you know, let me give you three things. If we're going to respond like we should respond, and I'll be quick tonight, but the first thing I, I think that all of us could use more of, including myself, is, is a thing called compassion. You know, we live in this world, in this hour, where if we're not careful, We can lose, and I preached on maintaining a burden the other night, but we can lose our burden, we can lose our compassion. Look at Luke 15, verse 4. What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Jesus was addressing those scribes and Pharisees that day in that crowd that had gathered, and, and gathered, and he said, every one of you would go look for that lost sheep. Hey, parents, when was the last time you were shopping and you lost a child? Or maybe grandparents, you know, we have the grandkids, you know, we're going to take them out, do some shopping, and all of a sudden we look around and and Susie's gone or Johnny's gone. Boy, I'll tell you what, we change our priorities in a hurry, don't we? I had a friend of mine, he had a little daughter, and she was a pistol ready to be fired. And she'd wait until mom and dad were looking the other way, and then she'd make her way to those circular clothes racks, you know, in the department stores, you know. And that little stinker would get inside that clothes rack and, and, she'd, uh, and then she'd pull her feet up so they couldn't see her in there. 
He said one day they, they were frantic. He said it took about 25 minutes. He said we, were, we had the manager, the store manager. He said we had several of the employees. He said, he said we were ready to call the police. We couldn't find her. And all of a sudden he said I'm running past these racks and I'm looking for her and I'm calling her name. And uh, he said all, all of a sudden I can hear this hee <laughs> And she's inside the clothes rack. He said, I didn't know whether to hug her or spank her or do both at the same time. You know, whenever that happens to a parent or a grandparent, I, I, I've never heard the parents say, well, that's all right. I have two more at home. I, I can lose one. <laughs> I, I've, never, I've never heard a parent or grandparent say, hallelujah, one less mouth to feed. Amen. I've never heard anybody say that. We were up in Effingham, Illinois, several years ago. We were helping a church get restarted. And, and uh, you know, newspapers today, especially small-town newspapers, are, are going to quickly be a thing of the past. So I like, to, I, like to, I like to get their newspaper. I like to read their newspapers. And so we were in Effingham, Illinois. And, and uh, during the week we were there, a week and a half or maybe two weeks we were there, they had they would do these tributes, they were a bi-weekly newspaper, so they do these tributes on the inside of the newspaper to the various, all uh, oh, the police department, they did a big tribute to the police department in one of the issues, then they did a tribute to the sheriff's department in another issue, and they had the picture of the officers there and so forth, and then uh, they did a tribute to the fire department, and then one, uh, one week they, they put out, uh, or one issue, they put out a, a, a tribute in the inside of the paper to all the paramedic units in the county. And they had a picture of each of the paramedic units there. And on the inside, on the inside of the tribute, they had a, an article written by a retired Illinois Highway Patrolman. I clipped it out and I saved it, and this is what he said. He said, when I was a Highway Patrolman for the state of Illinois, he said, I responded to numerous traffic accidents, some of them with very severe injuries. He said, at the scene of these accidents, there are three groups of people, each with a different response towards those involved in the accident. And I clip this out because it's so typical of, of uh, sometimes a church and how a church is made up. He said, the first group is the bystanders or the onlookers. He said, they're the curious ones and they watch to see what happens, but they have very little active involvement. He said, there's always another group at the accident scene and they are the police officers of whom I was one. He said, my response was to investigate the cause of the accident, assign blame and give out appropriate warnings and punishments. But he said, the third group that always was there were the paramedics. He said, they were the, they were the people usually most welcomed by those involved in the accident. They could care less whose fault the accident was. They didn't give lectures about bad driving habits. They were there for one reason, to help the hurting. Did you catch those three groups tonight? The uninvolved, the group that assesses blame and passes out punishments, but there's, there's one group, and praise God, I'm so thankful for you folks. This week I, I've seen a demonstration again and again of people who are caring for the hurting that want the hurting reached, that want the lost reached. You know what? It's time to be involved. And so we need this thing called compassion. I, I think we all could admit tonight, including myself, you know, in this hour, if we're going to reach the lost through worldwide evangelization and 
church planting and, and through efforts in our own communities, we've got to have that compassion. But secondly, we've, we've got to always remember, I can always put forth a little more effort. Luke 15, verses 3 through 5, speaking of effort here tonight, and he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. I mean, what was lost was going to have to be sought with some effort, great effort. I mean, the, the shepherd just couldn't simply go out and open the gate and hope the sheep would wander in. The Jewish woman who had lost that coin on the dirty Jewish floor, no, no, she would have to grab the broom and she would have to uh, sweep diligently and look and, and search and there would be an effort involved. You know, we can all pour, put forth, I believe, in all of our lives, in our, in our efforts to reach the lost, we can all put forth a little more effort. Let me encourage you. Can I encourage you? And I'm trying to do this myself. I bought a little uh, notebook not long ago, and I, I call it my prayer notebook, and it's just 99 cents at the dollar store. But I don't know about you. When I pray, sometimes my mind wanders, and I get to thinking about things, you know, that I need to do that day. And, and so I needed kind of a guide to go by. So I bought this little 99-cent notebook. And, you know, if we're thinking about reaching the lost, I thought, how should I construct this notebook so that God can use me in a more effective way? So what I did, I took this little 99-cent notebook, and on the first page, of course, I list my wife, Jennifer, and I list our children, and I list our grandchildren, and they're on the first page, and I try and pray for them every single day. Flipping the page, I have my pastor and my sending pastor on the next page, and their family members, and I pray for my pastor, and I try and pray for him on a regular basis every day. And then uh, uh, the next page, I believe, is the ministries of the church that we belong to and uh, praying for those that lead those ministries. Now, I realize that you probably cannot pray for every single person on that list every single day. But, you know, if you put a little X there, it just helps you kind of rotate and you begin to pray for those people in charge of those ministries. And then I, I, I list missionaries. I list our USA missionaries. And Jennifer and I have a list that we go through at night praying for our USA missionaries and our, our people that uh, God has given us to help and try and encourage. And so we pray for those ministries step by step. And we don't pray for all of them at one time, but the missionaries are listed there. I think I have a page for our county leaders and our city mayor and, of course, our officials there in Washington, the senators and congressmen. Now, I realize we can't pray for all of those every single day. But, you know, the next page is a list of unsaved people that I have met and we travel so much, honestly, when we come home to our home church, they hand us a visitor's card, you know? But, but nevertheless, you know, when I'm home, I try and meet people in our area, and I, I put their name on that list. And uh, I'm constantly saying, Lord, who do we know within a 15-mile radius of our church who is either unsaved, unchurched, or both? And we try and pray over that list, and we try and ask God to give us opportunities to reach those people. It's just a simple way to kind of stay on course. And you know what? If you have unsaved family members, they need to go on that list too. But that list of unsaved people or unchurched people, maybe God would allow you to make that list and maybe pray over that list. And as you pray over that list, you know, you're asking the Lord, Lord, now who is it on this list that you would grant me some, uh, some freedom or maybe some opportunity to maybe build a bridge 
in friendship towards them. Maybe, Lord, you'd give me an opportunity to, to invite them to church or maybe to maybe take them out for a meal. Maybe, Lord, there's someone on this list, a family or individual, that I could possibly reach for you. And you begin to pray over that list, and it's amazing as you begin to pray over the names how God will bring to mind opportunities that you might have to reach those people. All I'm saying is that, you know what, we can all put forth a little more prayer effort. So tonight as we think about the value of one soul, thinking about tonight the value of one individual, let me ask you, who is it in your life? Who is it that God may be laying upon your heart to reach this week? Oh, we can all use more compassion. We can all put forth a little more effort. Let me last of all just remind us that, you know, it just takes good old-fashioned persistence. Persistence. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? In verse 8 it says, Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? It reminds me when I read those verses that, you know what, if they were going to find that lost sheep, if that shepherd was going to find the lost sheep, if the Jewish woman was going to find the lost coin, it was going to take some persistence. Sometimes we work with people, we invite people to come to church, we try and share the gospel, and sometimes we're not received as maybe we wished we would have been received. But you know, don't give up. Don't give up. Persistence is the key. If a sheep or a coin was valuable enough to persistently search for, people who are spiritually lost tonight are too valuable to give up on. They're too valuable to give up on. Many of you may know this name. He's a famous cellist. His name is Yo-Yo Ma. Yo-Yo Ma was born of Chinese parents in Paris. True story, several years ago he gave an exhilarating performance at New York's Carnegie Hall. They had a reception for Yo-Yo Ma after the concert and it went very late and so he was very late getting to bed and the next day he had a concert at noon at a different concert hall. He got up late, he was running late, so he called the front desk and he had the front desk arrange a cab to pick him up and he quickly got dressed and got ready for the concert. He grabbed his music folder and in his concerts, he plays a 1733 made in Vienna cello just about every concert. It's valued at about two and a half million dollars. And he plays at least one, if not two, selections on that cello. Well, he grabbed his 1733 made in Vienna cello along with his music folder, and he made his way to the lobby of the motel. He jumped in the yellow cab and gave the cabbie directions and asked him to take him quickly to the concert hall where he was supposed to perform. They got there, of course there was traffic there involved in New York City, but he finally got to the concert hall and he quickly paid the cabbie and he jumped out with his music folder, ran into the concert hall as the yellow cab went down the street with his Made in Vienna 1733 $2.5 million cello in the trunk. Well now it's one disturbed Yo-Yo Ma who's standing behind the curtain ready to perform realizing he doesn't have his cello. He performs that afternoon concert. He doesn't play on the cello, obviously, because it's not there. He does have another cello he plays on. 
It was a good concert, but you know what he was doing immediately after the concert was over? He was on the phone. He had a stub, and it, it gave the cab number, but he called Yellow Cab, and he found out that the cabs are garaged all over New York City, and so they gave him numbers, phone numbers, of all of the Yellow Cab garages, or at least the cell phone numbers of the managers of those garages, and it was one busy yo-yo ma calling one garage after another. In mid-afternoon, he finally... Uh, he called a garage over in Queens, and the man picked up and answered, and he described the cab and gave him the number. He said, yeah, he came in here about 20 minutes ago, and he said, would you please check his trunk? And so it seemed like forever, and so finally the man came back, the manager came back on the phone and said, yeah, yeah, we found that big old violin. He said, we'll be right down there. Can I have your address? And he gave the address to Yo-Yo Ma. I'll tell you what, it was one happy Yo-Yo Ma pictured that day, the next day, in the New York Times with his, his arm around that manager of that yellow cab garage and the other arm around his made in Vienna 1733 $2.5 million cello. You say, well, why did he take all of that time? And why did he jump to find that thing? Because something of value was lost. Why have a missions conference? Why invest in missionaries worldwide? Why put the emphasis night after night on reaching the lost? Because they are of value to Him. In fact, when I read this passage this evening, isn't it interesting? All of heaven stops when someone comes to know Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to think about, but all of heaven celebrates that individual salvation decision. In your life and in my life, there are folks that are of great value and they're lost. On the field in Romania tonight and in the Ukraine and that area where the Georges are working, there are folks there, and they are of great value. In North Carolina tonight, in Portland, Oregon, in New York City, may we do our best to reach those that need him.